Hi, I'm Bert Broadhead, and welcome to Building Our Future, the podcast where I meet the people changing the way we design, construct, and utilize our built environment. Now, if I were to tell you that there is a new construction material that can be used instead of concrete and steel in huge mixed-use development projects, you might be vaguely interested. You might be slightly more interested if I were to then tell you that this material had a huge range of proven advantages, including reducing build periods, working well with off-site methods of construction, being sustainably sourced, reducing carbon emissions, and having a proven biomorphic effect which increases wellness factors for its occupants. Now, these claims are exactly what's being made when it comes to CLT, and to find out more, I tracked down a man who's been extolling its virtues for over 10 years. My guest today is Andrew Wall, who together with Anthony Thistleton is founder of Wall Thistleton Architects. Wall Thistleton are committed to the use of timber construction, which has earned them an international reputation in environmentally sustainable architecture and design. The practice is designed for the world's largest CLT building at Dalston Works, 10-storey, 121-unit residential building, made entirely from CLT. The firm is currently working on five out of the ten major office CLT buildings under construction in London. Andrew, thank you very much for having me over today. Welcome. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Could we just start? I've got a whole load of questions to ask you, but perhaps the best place to start is just a really simple question as to what is CLT? What is CLT? Well, CLT is an engineered timber panel which is manufactured from European spruce in generally in Austria or Germany and now in uh, Scandinavia in France as well and the panels are manufactured at lengths of about 16 meters by three meters and then they're made into walls or to floors or to lift cores or stair cores external walls and so the windows the doors are cut out of the panels the panels are cut to length put on the back of a truck, taken to site, craned into position and screwed into place. At its very basic form, it's essentially panels of timber which are glued together against, against the grain. Yeah, so it's planks of timber that are then uh, finger-jointed together. They're laid out. Um, they have a water-based adhesive sprayed on them. And then the next layer of, panel of planks is laid on top, perpendicular to the one below. And then they're built up in uh, odd numbers of layers. So the smallest being three, up to about nine layers, depending on, on what job the panel is doing. And what you end up, which to the, the layman's eye, effectively still looks like a piece of timber, but which has kind of fairly extraordinary properties from a, from a perspective of a building material. Yeah, it's incredibly strong. Its strength to weight ratio is about four times that of steel's. So it's a very strong material. It's a very rudimentary, simple material, actually. It's less than 1% adhesive, and these are massive pieces of timber that build up these buildings that, that we use. And the, the thing about the timber is, is it's, the, it's the timber from the outside of the trunk. So it's the stuff that used to get pulped for paper or chipped for fuel. So it's, really, it's fairly low-grade timber, which is engineered in such a way that it becomes a very kind of a very strong panel. And then with the implementation of quite sophisticated IT processes, it's cut down to very precise sizes, engineered to, to very exact tolerances, and then kind of arrives on site as this kind of kit of parts, if you like, that is then put together. 
So it goes hand in hand with offsite building. Yeah, it does, absolutely. It's part of a kind of prefabricated, modular move in construction towards those kind of offsite manufacturer, either offsite assembly or on-site assembly, but certainly offsite manufacturer. So on, on the programme, we've already already come across it in, in passing, both in our discussion with, with Mark Farmer and also uh, Nick Fulford at the N-House, where yeah. their, their uh, unit is built out of CLT. You've obviously been involved in this for a lot longer than, than most others. What first drew you to mm. timber as a, as a material to work with? So we built our first CLT building uh, in 2003, I think the first one in the UK, I'm told. We didn't know that at the time. Um, it was a small extension to a 18th century building near Waterloo Station. And we were interested in that method of construction for two reasons. Um, one is we were becoming increasingly interested in prefabrication and building systems. And the other was from a sustainability point of view. So really particularly about reducing our use of concrete and steel as being very big carbon emitters mm-hmm. and looking at ways of reducing that embodied carbon both through the um, reducing the embodied carbon of the materials and of the process itself. The benefit being that CLT is both a, a carbon store but also because of the off-site manufacturing process requires a lot less um, kind of carbon emissions in, ter- in the manufacturing process. Absolutely, process. absolutely. So, you know, <clears throat> the beauty of it is that as a, a tree is, is, you know, is nature's great carbon store so we couldn't invent a better way of storing carbon. It sucks the carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and releases oxygen. You know, the idea that we actually build buildings out of timber is we're building buildings out of a carbon store itself. And you're absolutely right that, you know, the material has a far lower embodied carbon in terms of the energy that goes into producing the material and that goes into forming the buildings that are made from that material. So you really, you know, you're starting a building uh, with a negative carbon footprint. If anyone, which hopefully they, they will, look at your, your website after this and they'll see... Um Dalston works for example it is clad so from an external view it's quite hard to tell that it is actually made from clt yeah is, is that part of the beauty of it that it's i think it is i mean it, there are a few reasons behind that one is because the vast majority of our buildings have been built for our clients not because our clients were looking for a sustainable method of construction but because we were able to prove the case for those buildings in terms of cost and program, that they would be less expensive to build and faster. So the idea that we would then expose the timber has really not been of a concern to most of our clients. Then because we've been pushing the boundaries in terms of the structure, in terms of the height of these buildings, um, issues around fire, fire spread, that kind of thing have been really to the fore. So we've had to cover the timber up. Right. What I didn't want to do was cover the timber in sort of noxious fire retardants and then the whole kind of life cycle of the timber and the whole breathability of the timber is then lost so there was that and then the other thing is that our kind of our mission you know our ethos if you like is the notion that we can replace concrete and steel with timber that timber is a viable alternative engineered timber is a viable alternative and as such it's not about showing that material it's not about appreciating the aesthetic of that material it's about demonstrating that kind of level of structural viability and you know architects are a fickle bunch 
you know, you show lots of timber this year, then next year it'll be something else. And we can already see that happening. Uh, so I, I guess see. one of my frustrations with that is that this is not and must not be a fashion. This must be a wholesale cultural change in the way in which we build our buildings. I pick up on the, the aesthetics a little bit later, but in terms of the technical benefits and, and limitations, we should add. In the post Grenfell environment, clearly fire retardedness mm. is a key issue. Yeah. I suppose most people might think building things out of wood, that is going to be a fire hazard in yeah. itself. But it's not. It is actually quite a fire-resistant it material. Is. Yeah. So what, what are you having to do in addition in order to make it an equivalent to steel or, or concrete in terms of its fire resistance? Uh, we don't look at it in terms of its equivalence um, because concrete and steel have their own ways of failing in fire, as was borne out in Grenfell. As people that design timber buildings, we are incredibly conscious of the risk of fire and the material that we're dealing with, and we take that very, very seriously. The way that mass timber, heavy engineered pieces of timber burn is very predictable. We know that a European spruce will burn at 0.7 millimetres a minute. We know exactly how it will perform in terms of, of the way it chars, so the kind of charcoal layer that's formed by the initial fire. And we overstructure every panel in order to allow them for that panel to retain its structural integrity for a, a minimum time period. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, so, yeah, yeah, so, and we know that all the fires that have happened in cross-laminated timber buildings have performed in terms of fire safety far in excess of, of what was kind of thought before. So there was one in Nottingham a year or so ago that burned and the structure itself took 72 hours to burn out. So the, we know what these buildings can do, and we know how well that they perform under fire structurally. So it's more of a uh, conceptual problem than, than an actual... Reality. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the thing is, you know, you're always compared to timber frame, and timber frame is like, you know, building with kindling. It's a very different, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a very different form of construction. From my limited knowledge of, of CLT, from, from a structural perspective, it has the advantage of being extremely light, mm-hmm. Uh, which has a couple of benefits. A, it suits itself well to off-site construction and, and delivery, but also it enables you to build in projects where you might need low foundations. So, for example, London on top of railway stations. Yeah, absolutely. So these are some of the fringe benefits, if you like. The fact that it's you know a CLT building will weigh about a quarter of a concrete frame building. So obviously the far reduced foundations, you can build off a raft, so much better building over tunnels, building over sewers, that kind of thing. But you know what? It's not a material that needs to be marginalised to those specialist sites. Right. It performs better than concrete and steel in terms of its structure in nearly every way. And it is uh, a better material to work with in terms of the actual working conditions of a building site. Not only is it cleaner quieter to work with but it's also a safer and healthier working environment and then the buildings that it builds are healthier buildings to live and work in you know the benefits beyond the sustainability are numerous but we always go back to the sustainability we always go back to the fact that climate change is the overwhelming important issue of our age and unless architects engage or construction development engage with the issue of climate change, we're not doing our job. How sustainable is it as a building source? So the timber itself is coming mainly from, from Europe. Is it Eastern Europe? Uh, no, predominantly 
the timber we use is from Central Europe, so Austria, Germany, and then up through Scandinavia. It is all FSC certified, so for every tree that's cut down, another five are grown in its place. And certainly all the forests of Central Europe are not even near maximum capacity in terms of the trees that are being cut down. So this is, you know, this is a material that's got a long way to go. But what we need to be doing as, a, as humanity is growing more trees and using <laughs> them like this. I can't argue with that. It's, um, it, it makes so much sense from that perspective. And presumably the logistics of shipping the, the timber over to the UK is, is manageable. It's minimal. From London to Salzburg is about the same as from London to Inverness. You know, these are not vast distances we're talking about. Tell American that, they'll laugh in, their, they'll laugh in your face. <laughs> I mentioned that I come back to the, the aesthetics. I think there, there are two points to this. So, In some ways, it's a, sh- it's a shame that you are having to, to clad in order to fit in with the surrounding aesthetic. Yep. Do you think that will change, or is that, is that kind of here to stay? Yeah, it'll change. You know the first kind of steam trains? They always had horses in front of them to put people at ease. You know, a little carriage with a horse on it just to make people feel calm. I mean, we're at that same kind of stage. You know, we will adapt and understand. My other uh, view on it concerns the internals. So I think that there is clearly a a growing uh, emphasis on well-being in the workplace. I was doing some research on this, mainly prompted by Nick Fulford, actually, at N-House, who was talking about the biomorphic effect of CLT. I found uh, a piece by a group called Barber Product Search, where it says, on mass, people tend to spend 90% of their time indoors, but a large amount of buildings that we live or work in, and even the buildings that we design, can contribute to issues such as seasonal affective disorder, depression, and even lung disease. According to the Wood for Good campaign, workers and offices with wooden interiors have reported increased feelings of innovation, energy, and comfort, whereas workers in offices without wood felt their environments were impersonal and uncomfortable. This is where it gets interesting. Cognitive abilities are said to be increased by 61% in green or sustainably constructed buildings. This increases to 101% when additional ventilation rates are included. That seems to me to be pretty stunning. I have no idea oh, about the science behind that. <laughs> no, well, you know what? I mean, I've kind of... Those figures are new to me. As figures, those studies are replicated all over the world. We're receiving this information at the moment from all corners of the globe. I mean, and, but yet it should be completely obvious to us because in every other walk of life, the food that we eat, the clothes that we wear, you know, we know about this stuff. Right. We know that natural things are better for us. You know, we know that muesli is better than pot noodle. You know, these are really simple, straightforward kind of ideas around the fact that humans as animals are better off when they are surrounded by natural materials, when they have the opportunity to breathe and to feel the air and see the sunlight and all those things. The idea of being in an environment of kind of polystyrene ceiling tiles, plasterboarded walls and, you know, raised metal floors for you know, 50 hours a week. That can't be good for you. No, I agree. And are you, are your developers being brave enough to, to embrace this in terms of the, the finish they're requesting internally? Or are you still designing an, a traditional internal finish? Essentially, No, we're getting there. Yeah. We're getting there. Actually, you know, it's, uh, the environment for us has changed significantly over the last 15 years. A lot of the buildings that we build now are, you know, predominantly exposed timber. 
and that is becoming something that people, you know, understand not only the aesthetic benefits of it, which I'm not undermining, <laughs> but also the kind of like the natural health and well-being elements. I mean, if you think that a, a business in the UK will spend what five percent of its turnover on rent, but eighty percent of its turnover on salaries. So if your salaried workforce are working harder, longer hours, they're happier, better concentration levels, I mean, that's got to be great for your business. You know, who's not going to want more of that? We have six timber buildings, six timber office buildings on site right now. And the amount of interest in those buildings is phenomenal. I mean, I've turned into a... I'm a tour guide during the day (laughs) and a designer at night. (laughs) See, I I reckon... uh the barriers are probably in different places. If you spoke to uh, office workers, myself included, do you want to work in a, a CLT building, timber, timber ex- exposed timber beams, etc.? Yeah. Uh, yes, that would be great. And then if I'm wearing my kind of property owner's hat on, I think I could get there, but I, I, there's still something in me which just needs convincing that owning a timber building is is the same as owning a steel or a concrete one, which is totally irrational. Times, I know, man. I know, Look at you. Look. It's, just, uh, it's still there. Come on, and, catch uh, up. <laughs> what do you want? You want nice kind of plasterboard, polystyrene ceiling tiles, some sort of flickering fluorescent lights in the they, ceiling, the blinds just, drawn it's, down. It's being a wimp and, uh, and, uh, and accepting that you someone's, someone's going to make the first, by the first jump. Yeah. Well, I'm happy for other people to work in there. It's, uh, yeah. No, but you know what I mean? The kind of like the, the idea that we kind of still sort of, you know, in offices, the majority of offices in the UK, these sealed spaces, you know, where we're breathing air sort of four, five, six times over. I mean, these are awful spaces to spend our life in. You know, and if we're not thinking about this as architects, then what on earth are we thinking about? We must say that there are some negatives to building with CLT. Um, I, sorry, go on then. I'm gonna, this is going to be hit interesting. You, hit you with a couple. But, uh, <laughs> go on, go for it. Don't believe everything you read. flexibility to alter the design once the construction process has begun. Sit back. This one is one of my bugbears. Yeah, I'm ready so for this. the idea that we need to fill our cities with individual iconic buildings, you know, that can Ooh. perform some kind of uh, design dance of their own is just to my mind completely and utterly illogical this does not make good cities this makes good careers if you think about the most successful times that our cities and specifically in the uk have grown those have been over victorian and georgian now nobody thinks of those architects like oh my goodness those poor georgian architects they weren't able to express themselves individually by creating strange shapes out of the materials i'm fully supportive of this view so th- oh, this is i mean this you is look me. at the kind of myriad right. of kind of below average crappy buildings that are populating our city now it is appalling but that's a sign and of we get them coming out of architecture school you know these kind of like you know these rows of lemmings that think that they should be designing individual opera houses you know who actually have no idea how to build a house no idea about actually just the basic mechanics of construction you know the word architect it comes from the greek master builder didn't know that but thank you you (laughs) not many architects do either i think that architects have fallen into the same trap as the rest of our culture in terms of that kind of search for stardom yeah, you know, everyone, everyone wants to be special. In, everybody wants to be the individual. An individual. Yeah. And does that lead to a happier life or a better city? Nah, not in my view. I'm 100% with you on that. Oh, good. And, I, and I, 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 I thought we were going to disagree. It was, um, <laughs> yeah, and the, uh, you're completely right. The need for 
architecture to be different and special with every single building you you construct is clearly nonsensical. That search for the differential leads to you know ridiculous facadism facade architecture right you know whether it's the whisperers and their brickwork or somebody looking to be increasingly more wacky with every building they're doing i mean this is this is totally unprofessional and irresponsible you speak to chris Chiller, who thinks on the, the the city scale and how you know everything should be interacting and working as one and if, if we're just designing a series of individual standalone buildings and yeah yeah, it's, it's mad. So back to the original question. But it's not does necessarily. CLT, does my the question. fact that you can't make bizarre shapes out of CLT mean that it's not good for architecture? No, it means that actually it might just be the kind of parameter that we've been needing as a profession. And if you want to do bendy shapes out of CLT, you can. Phone me up and I'll tell you the name of the factory <laughs> in Austria that will do them for you. But the the question was slightly different. Oh, I'm so sorry. Which is which is that. Um, <laughs> Once the process has started, so you, you've put the order in for your off-site factory, it is, it is difficult to make retrospective changes to the design mid-build. You know what? I live in a CLT house and um, a building that I built with two friends. And uh, the first summer I went away, my next-door neighbour, Dan, cut a bathroom window out of the wall using a chainsaw. Now, I was a bit miffed because, you know, <laughs> and because uh, we didn't have planning for it and because obviously I didn't draw it. We've had other clients who put in spiral staircases between floors, again, using a chainsaw. You know, these, these buildings as sort of honeycomb structures, if you like, as, as kind of buildings which utilize the floor, utilize the wall as structural components, there is a certain level of kind of engineering that needs to be applied to to make those buildings adaptable to future uses. But that's no different from a masonry building. You know, the thing you do is you want to make an opening in a wall, you can make an opening in a wall, but you might have to put a beam in. Now, yeah, right? So when people talk to me about that, I, and they talk to me about the opportunities by a concrete building, these buildings that we call concrete buildings are not concrete buildings. They're concrete floor slabs and columns. And in between them, they've got light-gauge steel studwork with plasterboard or clayboard or whatever it is kind of stuck on them. So you have these towers that you're looking around at, 10, 15, 20 stories. The amount of solid material between you and the outside world on one of those towers is probably, what, a couple of inches yeah. You know, if you and I got hold of a sofa, we got a good run at it, we could probably push it out of the wall of one of those buildings. So the idea that they are adaptable, you know, by sofa might be true. But the idea that they are actually buildings which, which make proper homes, you know, that, have, that give a building of some kind of, like, commodity, yep. is a fallacy. Okay, so we've just mentioned now the thickness of the walls. So, again, another thing I've read is... Um, with CLT, there's the need to line internal walls and floors for acoustics and fire-resistant purposes, which can potentially add to the build time. You should insulate the walls and you should insulate the floors. As with most concrete buildings, that needs doing. Every building that we've built exceeds the thermal and acoustic building regulations. But what you are doing is you're fixing into timber. So rather than hammer drilling into concrete... Yeah or you know or bolting into steel you're just kind of like you have a cordless screwdriver drilling into timber and you're drilling into a solid material so unlike with a concrete frame building where you're fixing into light gauge stud work here you're fixing into a solid material so 
yes, you should apply additional layers of material in order to help with acoustics and help with thermal. But, you know, the other thing is, the other important thing is that the material itself, you know, we're talking about walls that are 150 mil thick, floor slabs that are 150, 200 mil thick. So there is thermal and there is acoustic protection inherent in that way of building. We're just talking about additional layers. So I'm going to come back onto your side of the fence for, for this point. But um, Mark Farmer's paper, uh, government paper, Modernise or Die, is all about how to well, how to attract a younger generation into the, the construction workforce and ensure that our productivity levels remain high. Sealteen seems to be a pretty a pretty good conduit into that for two reasons. A, it goes hand in hand with technology, so a lot of the, a lot of the wood is being cut to laser precision. Uh, it fits in with a BIM model very very nicely. And secondly, it just seems to be a much more pleasant material to work with. So you yeah. mentioned just then nailing in the insulation to the floors. You're dealing with timber rather than drilling into into concrete. Yeah. Do you think you're already seeing the impacts of this? Do people prefer Definitely. to work them? Absolutely. So first off, thank goodness for Mark Farmer. That man is a, a breath of intelligent, fresh air into the, <laughs> into the construction industry, I have to say. Secondly, as Mark will have said, I'm sure, productivity in construction is uh, ridiculously low. We're going back to the Egan report years and years ago about the amount of material that's wasted on site. You know, But then you can also you talk to people who teach apprenticeships in construction now and how difficult they find it to get people to go into construction. Construction should be a great job to be in. And yet the fact of the matter is, is where productivity in construction is, you know, is lower now than it was 100 years ago. This is the McKinsey report that yeah. came out last year. I mean, these things are absolutely crazy. And generally, working in construction means that you're working in a dark, dangerous, wet, dirty environment. And we need to think about the people that are involved in these processes. When we built our first tall building, the first tall building in timber in CLT in 2008, one of the things I remember talking to an electrician about was him telling me that when you apprentice as an electrician in the UK, you can spend 18 months, your first 18 months, hammer drilling into concrete. And then after 18 months or so, your shoulder joint will disintegrate. And then they start to teach you about electrics. I mean, those are the kind of site can. I mean, but you know, it's insane. You know, if you compare our industry to any other industry, you know, we are so far behind in terms of working conditions, working practices, in terms of efficiencies, in terms of kind of supply chain consistency. All of consistency yep. there again. Look at the architecture. I mean, this is it. If you try and if you try and do something new every time you do it, then all you're going to do is do it rather badly, rather expensively, and rather slowly every time. If we could get good at making good homes, you know, of actually housing the people who are in such dire need out there, then actually that would be a profession that was working. When we talk about density with CLT, how, how high can we go and what are the, what are the restrictions in terms of density? <laughs> right. um, on our Dalston Works project, our brief for that project was originally, the first pre-application that was done on that project by another architect was three 20-storey towers. And we were able to get a higher net area into a 10-storey building than they had got in three 20-storey towers. And the way that we were able to do that was by careful design. You know, for an architect, designing a tower is designing one floor plan and a couple of elevations. 
getting 3.5% of the construction cost for doing so. If you're going to design high-density, mid-rise housing, that is a much more difficult thing to do than to design a tower. It's much more complex, much more involved, and requires much finer grain architecture to make it successful. So, you know what? I think this is a red herring. I think the notion of tall buildings is not healthy for our cities. They're great for architects' bank balances and for developers' PR, for architects' PR. Are they good for our cities? Is that us doing our job well? I think really rarely. So there are opportunities for towers, you know, absolutely. You know, but I think we need to think very carefully about what situation that is the correct decision to yeah, make. Yeah, it's not, it's not always the right decision. Can you build a tall building in timber? For sure. Not well, a problem. You know, how, I mean, how the things, how tall? You know, I'm, it, the, I'm sure there's no you're, limit. You're, you're pushing the boundaries here already. So. Oh, no, look, I don't, you know, I don't see the problem. The reason why I can't turn around to you and say 40 or 50 is because I'm not really interested in doing it. Right. Um, you know, we have done research work with, with Cambridge University in the last few years, looking at um, involving carbon fiber and Kevlar into the laminates, so prefabricating timber joints. So that, you know, when you join two pieces of timber, it's the joint that's the yeah. weak part. So you prefabricate the joint, you plug the panels into the prefabricated joint. You know, you can go really tall. I mean, the kind of, the great irony of it is, is that you're, because the building material is so efficient and so light, the problem that you have is wind load, not structural capacity. So you're not looking at carrying the load of the building, you're looking at stopping the building from blowing over. So there's a tall one going up in Holland at the moment. Right. And they're having to stick a great big lump of concrete on the roof just to weigh the thing down. In architecture, you're taught that when making design decisions, go back to the sketch. Understand what the first principles of the argument were. You know, and the first principles of our argument are around sustainability. So are tall buildings a sustainable architecture? And I actually found something quite interesting on the on the internet about this although i should say that um the source may be slum, somewhat biased because it's by a guy called called lloyd alter who's, ah. who's from a website called tree hugger yeah. so <laughs> one of my favorite people <laughs> so, arguably biased but uh, no, but i like he's a great guy i liked what he had to say yeah, so it's a he, very well researched website he is saying that clt provides what he calls the goldilocks density uh, whereby it can create buildings that are dense enough to support vibrant main streets with retail and services for local needs, but not high, not too high, that people can't take the stairs in a pinch. Dense enough to support bike and transit infrastructure, but not so dense to need subways and huge underground parking garages. Dense enough to build a sense of community, but not so dense as to have everyone slip into anonymity. Nailed it. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I'm totally with Lloyd on yeah. that. You know, the only thing I'd add to that was... Also about light, you know, about light and yeah. air and getting light and air into, you know, into the streets of our cities. And super tall cities don't do that well. You know, I think that actually, you know, you look at Madrid and Paris, Berlin, cities of that kind of density, those sorts of building heights, eight to 12 stories, perfect. You've now moved into um, offices as well as your, your big resi scheme. Yeah. What would you like the future of CLT to be in the UK and where where do you think it, it's really best served in the immediate future? Housing. It's I mean it's offices are great and people are really excited about the idea, the notion or the you know the actual reality of building offices in timber, which is fabulous. Housing is what we need, you know, housing's always the great challenge. 
in architecture. Providing good housing, especially providing good quality social housing, that's the optimum role of the, of the architect, is good social housing. Everything else is much easier. <laughs> Final two questions, which are nothing to do with CLT. Okay, a little good. bit about you. Okay. Um, your favourite building, oh, and, and you man, can you can life. you can choose one of yours. You know, I'm fickle like that. So my favourite building is the last building that I loved and enjoyed. I saw a a, a house by Peter Aldington at the weekend um, in Buckinghamshire, the most beautifully crafted, sensitive. Uh, house and absolutely stunning. I would recommend that to anybody. And then two weeks ago, I was in Sao Paulo, and I was looking at the work of Paolo Mendes de Rocha, Seski, and Lino Bobardi. And you know what? I'm constantly excited by architecture. Um, the weird thing is, to say that. I know both the buildings you're talking about. Oh, you don't really? I've been stalking <laughs> you on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> My final question yeah. is: um, outside of what, what you're doing directly what what innovation within the industry is kind of exciting you other things that people are doing the innovations that are happening in terms of how we use buildings i think are very interesting you know i think things like um shared workspace uh co-living uh we work for pocket developments which i think is a very interesting notion actually how we deal with cities that are becoming increasingly dense I think, you know, I think it's a very, very interesting time. I think that probably the developments in, you know, how we conceive of those buildings in terms of, of those internal spaces, and that's really interesting, really exciting at the moment. And it's exciting to see kind of that industry being creative and reinventing notions which have been held dear for decades. Quite a generic answer there, Andrew, but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll let it pass. <laughs> is that I, generic, do you think? Well, I, I, I agree with you. I think that the way we use real estate and, and think about it is totally changing. It's almost becoming a... But that's quite revolutionary. Business. I mean, that's, that's just totally. the last few years. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that if you were to ask me about exciting movements in architecture, I wouldn't really be able to name one. The digitization, but it's 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 quite. Well, kind of, I can't you, really get too excited. Well, about it's BIM. utilitarian. No, I am but, excited about BIM. I mean, you know, we kind of like, you know, we uh, we couldn't build the buildings that we build without the BIM systems that we have in place. But, but in what office. excites me about BIM is is not necessarily. I can see why for an architect is not particularly exciting. But the, the collaboration with non-architects, I think that it, it could enable, can be very interesting. So yeah, no, absolutely. And beyond the cab- I think it's beyond collaboration, it's about communication, isn't it? So it's about the fact, you know, we're sharing the same drawing. I mean, the thing is, you know, they were all architects once. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a bad Lego designer. But Andrew, thank you very much for your time. It's been extremely no, pleasure. I enjoyed that. Thank you. So, as you can probably tell, Andrew is a massive fan of CLT, and he's seriously convincing in his arguments as to why that's the case. There's also something really pleasing about the underlying simplicity of the idea behind the material. It's sort of taking us back to our roots, but in a modern manner. Now, while I was playing devil's advocate somewhat, it is true that CLT does have some critics, and I'm not really that well-placed to judge their validity. It may well be that there's simply a resistance to change, and that architects are defending their abilities to get creative with steel frames by steering away from CLT for the moment. I understand Andrew's bugbear of egotistical architecture, 
But it's also true that this has helped deliver some of our country's most iconic buildings in modern times. So it's somewhat a question of finding balance. But Andrew's surely right in his main premise. But it seems obvious that the vast majority of our non-landmark buildings don't need to visit new frontiers in terms of their design. They just need to complement their environment and surroundings while creating great places to live and work. CLT seems perfect for this. As to the wellness effects of spending time in CLT buildings, I'll post some links on the website and you can decide for yourselves. I doubt we've heard the last of CLT on this programme, but stay tuned via the website or subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, and I'll be bringing a new story of real estate innovation to you soon.